You're listening to Therapy for Your Money, a podcast about all things money and finance for therapy practice owners. If you want to feel confident and in control of your financial life, then you've come to the right spot. I'm your host, Julie Harris. I'm an accountant and the owner of Green Oak Accounting. My firm specializes in working with private practices across the U.S., and my team and I have worked with hundreds of private practice owners. I'm on a mission to share all the best practices I've learned along the way because I want you to have a profitable private practice. Hi, everyone. Today, we are talking about year-end tax tips for private practice owners. And we're talking about this in November so that you have the time to do something about it before the end of the year. So some of the tips that we're going to be talking about do require some action before December 31st. Um, Sometimes taxes can be a huge surprise in April if you haven't planned for it. So there's no time like the present to start saving for taxes. Um, And if you're listening to this in November and you haven't saved a penny for, for your taxes, there's still time, right? There's between now and April 15th. Um, So there's no time like the present to get it all started, right? So tax planning is different than tax preparation in the sense that tax preparation happens after the year is over where we're really just recording what has been done. And there's typically very limited opportunities to do anything about the tax owed because the year is over. When we do tax planning is when we do take a proactive look at what is happening in the business before the end of the year and identify opportunities to legally reduce the tax burden by making a few strategic moves before the end of the year. So I also want to disclaim that tax planning is typically not a service that is included in tax preparation. So if it's a service that you want, you typically are going to need to um, ask your accountant about it or ask them if it's included in whatever um, service package that you have, right? So tax planning is does not mean that you should spend money on things that you don't need just to save on taxes. Because when, in most cases, we're looking for a tax deduction, and that means you're going to spend money in order to reduce your taxable income. Um, But if you are in a 24% tax bracket, if you're spending $100, that means you're saving $24. So that's great. If it's something that you needed, you were going to spend $100 anyways. But if it's, but, but I don't want you to spend $100 on something that you don't need just in order to save $24. You see how that, where, where that, that stops making sense. As far as tax planning is concerned, some of these items are going to require a cash outflow. So there are some situations where you may or may not have the cash actually available to put some of these uh, strategies in place. And that's okay. And it's something that you can consider for a future year. Today's a special episode for me because I um, am lucky enough to be joined with Emily Grauerholtz, who is a CPA and the manager of our tax team. So hi, Emily. And I'm also joined by Linda Roberts, who is also CPA and also on our tax team. So if you happen to be a client of ours, there's a good chance that you'll be meeting with either Linda or Emily at some point during the tax season. We do have a few other team members, but they're the lucky ones who are joining us for today. So welcome, ladies. Hi. All right. So let's get this party started. We have a lot of ground to cover. So Linda, what's our first tip? Our first tip is going to be on accelerating expenses. So when you're a cash basis business, if you've got any normal business expenses, ordinary business expenses that you would pay in January, if you pay them in December, you'll get that deduction in 2021. Um, We don't want you to go out and 
purchase anything that you're not normally going to purchase, but just normal ongoing business expenses um, that you could pay early um, to get that deduction in 2021. And so I love the example of software because often you can get really good software deals in December, prepay the next 12 months in one lump sum, get a discount, but you're also getting that deduction in the current year. Is there any other good examples there, Linda? Um, if you've got any rent, you could prepay rent, um, any uh, leases, um, any uh, subscriptions, like you said, the software subscription or any dues, you could pay them early in December. Yeah, you can even prepay your tax prep fees, right? That might be a way <laughs> to, to that's increase a good, that's your expenses. A good one. <laughs> and then bonuses can be another good one. If you, if you typically do bonuses at year end, sometimes those happen in January. If you are able to do those in December, if you have the data to calculate those, that's going to decrease your taxable income in the current year. All right, Emily, what's our next tip? Um, let's talk about retirement planning. There are different options for retirement contributions. Um, a lot of times you see a traditional IRA contributions and Roth IRA contributions, as well as SEP IRA um, contributions. Um, each is kind of different for your situation. Um, a SEP is a good option for self-employed individuals. There's a lot more flexibility as far as the amount you can contribute. Traditional IRA contributions um, are a little bit more limited and um, Roth IRAs are limited as well based on your income level. It really is just important to look at your situation individually and see which is best for you. I could add, would like to add something on if you don't have a traditional IRA at this point and you make too much for a Roth you could contribute to a non-deductible traditional IRA and then convert it to a Roth right away. It's called a backdoor Roth IRA. So that's something um, that a higher uh, income earner might be able to do to get that Roth IRA. And if you're going to your financial planner and saying, I'm interested in doing a backdoor Roth, they're going to know what that, what that is. There's no tax benefit, but the advantage is that when, once you get that cash into a Roth, it's never taxed again. So there's no immediate tax deduction today, but you're getting all of that future growth tax-free, which that is a big, big advantage as well. What if a business owner does not have a retirement plan set up in the business? Like they have employees and they don't have a 401k or anything else set up in the, in the business. Is there, are there any options? Um, if they have employees, they can still contribute to a SEP IRA. They can contribute at a same percentage as they would contribute their earnings as an owner. They also can do a simple IRA that has an option for employee and employer contributions that is limited to, I think, $13,500 per person for contributions. You can match it as an employer. The simple IRA has to be set up before year end for your employees, I think by October 1st. And then a SEP IRA, you have the option to set up and contribute to all the way till the tax deadline. All right. So we'll say that one again, because I think that's an important distinction. The SEP makes a lot of sense for solo self-employed, right? Self-employed without employees, it, it pretty much always can make sense. Once you have employees, the SEP can be a little bit more tricky because there's a pretty hefty contribution to employees, and that, that is mandatory. So there's not a way to favor just the owner versus the employees. We, we simply cannot do that based on, based on rules for retirement contributions. So SEP can be a good option. SEP can be opened after year end all the way up until 
the tax return is filed. However, if we're, you're looking at other contribution methods, uh, like a simple or a traditional 401k, by November, it's usually too late to get that set up for the current year. It's always an option to set it up for the, the following year, uh, but it might be too late for now. However, if you do have a spouse that has access to a 401k in their, uh, with their employer, one of the options to reduce the tax burden for the entire household is to just have them max out their 401k. So if that's an option that you're open to as a business owner to, so that you don't have to open something right away, have them max out their 401k for this year. And that's going to reduce the taxable income in the household. So the next tax tip is uh, business use of your personal car. So if you are using your automobile for your business, we recommend uh, either downloading some type of an app or some way to keep track of your business miles. Um, because if you are going to take that business deduction, you need to have that evidence uh, for the IRS in order to take that deduction. Linda, what might be some trips that are deductible then. So when you're tracking mileage, what is considered business use of your car and what is considered personal use of your car? Okay. So if you go normally, if you go from your home to your first office, that is considered commuting miles. If you then go from that first office location to a second office location, that would be considered business miles. And then if you're going from say that second location back home at the end of the day, then that would be considered commuting miles. Okay. And what about if you're running errands for the business? Then, then those would be considered business miles. If you're out running errands and doing different, you know, running out and purchasing office supplies or uh, going buying office furniture, whatever that may be, those uh, keep track of those because those would be business miles and for that business uh, deduction. Okay. And so once you've got that log, what do you do with it? Once you have that log, that is something you are going to provide to your accountant, your CPA, so that they can make sure that you get that business deduction on your tax return. Perfect. All right. What if you have home office? So if you have a home office, there is a rule that if you do your administrative work in that home office, that home office could be uh, designated your primary office. So the nice thing about that then is if you go from that home office to your first location, then it is considered business miles. And the same thing when you go home from that second location back home, that still would be considered business miles because your home office is your primary uh, business administrative office. Okay. And Emily, how about, can you take a deduction for that home office when you're spending a lot of time working from home? Yes, you can take a deduction for a percentage of the space you're using compared to the whole house, and we can take deductions for your mortgage interest, your real estate taxes, um, your utilities, your internet, your homeowner's insurance, all of those type of expenses. Um, we can take a percentage of those and deduct them on the business return. All right, and how do you like to track that? Um, we have a spreadsheet that we provide to our clients and um, we just have you fill out square footage of the office, square footage of your entire home, and you can either fill out expenses monthly or for the year. 
and then we just do a calculation. And most accountants or CPAs are going to have a similar way for you to calculate the same thing. And then once you fill it out, we, we take it from there and we get the deduction for you. Okay. So ask your accountant if they've got a, a spreadsheet or, or a specific way that they want to see this tracked. Yes. All right. Emily, what about entity structure? We get a lot of questions and sometimes a lot of, we see a lot of misinformation around entity, S-corp, what someone should be. Can that be a good tax savings? Yes. Um, the most common entity types are um, being taxed as a Schedule C or being taxed as an S-corp. If you are a single member LLC and you form an LLC for your business, um, you can be taxed either way. So there's things to consider. The big thing with being a Schedule C business is you have the self-employment tax on all of your earnings. Um, with the S-Corp, you um, have to take a, a reasonable wage from the business and then anything, and then you pay your self-employment, your social security tax on that. And then anything earnings beyond that is not taxable as social security income. So it, it allows you to pay social security on the work that is attributable, attributable to you and not necessarily all of the business income. It makes more sense to become an S-Corp when your, um, your income is a little bit higher. Usually profit of 100000 or higher is kind of when you want to make the switch. Um, it's not the same for everyone, so it should always be evaluated, but Anything below 100000 in profit for the year, you're probably okay still at a Schedule C. And then once you get over that, you should start evaluating becoming an S-Corp. Yeah. And when we say evaluating, it's a good, this is a good time to ask your accountant for help just because all states are not created equal. There are some states where it takes a lot longer for an S-Corp to make sense because they tax S-Corps differently. So where it might make sense at the federal level, it might not make sense at the state level. So it's good to work with an accountant there to figure out what all the pieces of the puzzle are. Um, also in 2021, we still have access to um, Section 199, which is also called QBI, Qualified Business Income. That's a deduction of up to 20% on business uh, income. So we're not covering the details of that in, in this podcast, but QBI does play a role there where for an LLC that deduction might be higher than with an S-corp. So we have to look at all the different pieces there to see what makes sense. Um, but as you get closer to that 100,000 in profit, then it makes sense to at least have start having that conversation and see what, what makes sense. How about hiring children, Linda? When you hire your children, it's one of the ways that um, we talk about wealth transfer uh, in a business. Because basically you're taking some of that income that would be taxed to you and transferring it to your children and they may pay little or no tax on it if they're under the standard deduction depending how much you pay them but if you keep it under that uh, single standard deduction you're in essence transferring that earnings to them and not paying tax on it. yeah and the standard deduction for 2021 is what 12,550 550 12550 and they would not pay tax on that. So you're, you're, you're transferring the income from a high tax bracket, yours to a low tax bracket, your children. But that cannot be done willy-nilly, right, Linda? Like there has to be some it, it, parameters right. around that. All right, so tell us about that. 
So, so you, you can't just go paying them an outrageous wage. It, it just, it has to be a reasonable compensation that, that you pay them in order so for you, it to qualify. You can't pay your own child, your 10 year old, $50 an hour to, to vacuum the floor when you could hire someone for $15 an hour to do that. Right. Right. That, that is the IRS will not like that. No. Uh, what, what else should we be mindful of as far as hiring children? Basically, um, in certain situations, when it's a Schedule C, a self-proprietor, self there are certain rules where you don't have to pay the Social Security and Medicare tax and then the federal un unemployment tax. Avoid that, and that's additional savings with a Schedule C, not Schedule. with Chapter S. Okay, so with a, with an S-Corp, you wouldn't have to pay FICA, so Social Security and Medicare and unemployment, but that still usually is going to offset, is going to be less than the savings and tax, right? That typically is Correct. the case. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and I would add to that, it's, it's really important to when you're hiring your own child to keep a, a detailed log of what they're doing, when they're working, what they're doing, and, and pay them throughout the year just so that you have a record, just in case you're ever audited, you want to have some really detailed records of what exactly they, they did. And it should be age appropriate. I personally am not a fan of, of hiring kids under 10. Linda, what's, what's your threshold? Do you have one? Yeah, I would agree. 10 to 12 is, is probably a good uh, age that you could reasonably start um, hiring them. I agree. I'd say not, nothing below 10 for sure. I like this strategy, especially for people who have teenagers who may be saving up for a car or driving their own car and needing to pay for their own gas or paying for college. Like this can work really well in essentially making things that typically are not deductible, right? You can't deduct your kid's college or, or college living expenses, but by paying them to do work, legitimate work in the business, in a roundabout way, you're able to deduct some of the college expenses. Absolutely. Linda, let's go to tax losses. Can you talk, talk to us about investment planning with your investments? So as you're coming up on the year end, you want to evaluate your investments. There may be some investments that, that currently they're at a loss. And if you really don't like that investment anymore, if you sell that, it could offset um, any gains that you may have out there that you've sold. So it's, it's you know, harvesting your tax losses. So you might want to get with your financial planner and go over your investments and see if there is anything you're, you're going to be selling that is at a gain and you may have some losses that you could sell and, and offset it and then save uh, on taxes for that. Okay, perfect. Right. Next up, we have the Augusta loophole. Um, the IRS allows a business owner to rent their primary residence or a vacation home to their business for up to 14 days each year. And those can be non-consecutive days. The residence can be located anywhere in the United States. The income is excluded from taxable income for the resident owner and the business owner. So the business gets a rental deduction, but the owner gets it tax-free. So it is a tax savings in that manner. In order to kind of claim this, um, you need to be able to get like a fair market value for what the, the rent reasonable rent is um, for that location or a similar rental meeting type spaces. And that's 
I mean, you can't charge an unrealistic rental rate, but it needs to be, you have, need to have some, some comps um, that you can record what a, a reasonable rent is. Okay. So you would pull some comps of like country clubs, hotels, like meeting room spaces. Is that kind of what you would look at, Emily? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then does this work if you have a, like an Airbnb type rental home that you rent out? No, that does not work. Um, It needs to be your personal residence or a a non-business rental. Okay. So like a second home that you don't rent out, right? then it it would work. Okay. Mm -hmm. Last but not least, I want to talk about lumping charitable contributions. And it sounds a little bit funky, but it definitely does work. So in cases where you may be really, really close to that standard deduction, which for single people is 12,550 for married filing jointly is double that. If you are really close to the standard deduction or, or just under when you're, when you're looking at itemizing, it doesn't necessarily make sense to itemize, right? So you might have mortgage interest, you might have state and local taxes, um, you might have uh, some medical expenses, but if you're, uh, if you're just under that standard deduction, you're better off taking the standard deduction. But if every year you contribute a certain dollar amount to charities, and let's say you have that in your budget, you can you can use what we call uh, lumping charitable contributions. This can also work with medical expenses sometimes when you have control on timing. But let's say if you, instead of waiting until January to make additional contributions to your favorite charities, if you double them up in the current year, and that all of a sudden pushes you over the standard deduction, then it makes sense to itemize, right? So you might double up in this current year as long as cash flow allows and then not make any contributions next year because you already have doubled them up. Then you're uh, maximizing the tax impact of that because if, if your itemized deductions are under the standard deduction, you're not really getting a tax advantage for that charitable contribution otherwise. So if you're able to, to look at grouping those, that can be helpful. Um, I mentioned it can be doable with uh, medical expenses as well, as long as you do have uh, the ability to time, right? Sometimes that's not possible, but if there are, you know, you already had significant medical expenses in this year and you're already over that 7.5% threshold, then if you're able to get anything else done between now and the end of the year that you need, that you know needs to get done, like there, there can be a, an advantage to doing that now versus waiting next year where you might not be over that 7.5% threshold. Um, so one thing I want to mention in on charitable donations, uh, something in they've passed for 2021, even if you are taking the standard deduction, a married filing joint couple can take $600 of a cash charitable donation in addition to the standard deduction. A single person, uh, it's still 300 um, like they had in 2020, but they have increased it for married filing joint in 2021 to the 600 Okay. And that's an advantage because historically, if you weren't itemizing, you weren't getting a benefit from that charitable donation. But for 2021, a donation for 300 or 600, depending if you're single or married filing jointly, does still give you a benefit beyond this, uh, even if you're not itemizing. Before we go, I want to mention one last tax tip, which is the PTET or pass-through entity tax. This one is a little bit complicated for the context of a podcast, but basically it's a way for taxpayers in certain states to avoid having the limitation for state and local 
taxes that is on the federal tax return. So you may remember Tax Cuts and Jobs Act from 2017 limited state and local tax deduction on the federal tax return to $10,000 each year. Previously, that had not been the case. And so this is a workaround that many states that are high tax states have implemented where the business entity can pay the tax tax on behalf of the on behalf of the business owner it is a deduction to the business and then the owner gets a credit on their federal tax return so it's a way to essentially deduct that tax so i'm mentioning it quickly here there's a lot more complexity to it than i can can give you here there are several states already that have implemented this alabama california idaho illinois is very recent Louisiana, Maryland, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Oklahoma, Rhode Island. I may have, I feel like I may have missed one. And there's several states that are looking at adding this for 2022. So it's a good idea to just do a quick Google search, PTT and your state and see if it's something that is available to you because that could be a really good tax savings opportunity if you live in one of the states that does allow this. Um, and you have the cash flow available. That's an important piece. You have to have the cash available to make a payment before the end of the year. So time is of the essence on that one. You want to just do your due diligence on that one as soon as possible. So just as a reminder, this is not going to apply for every state. You would have to make a payment before the end of the year. And you, in some cases, will have to make the election directly with the state also before the end of the year or on the tax return. So there's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts here. And I wanted to mention this strategy because I think it's important, but it will not apply for everyone. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Emily and Linda. We have an amazing tax team over at Green Oak Accounting. If you have the pleasure of working with them, I know you're in really, really good hands. Have a great day, everyone. If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.